Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Very special episode today with Pastor Matt First again. Uh, always enjoy having him on the program. Always has a lot to contribute. And we're going to get right into the program today because we have a lot to cover. This is probably going to be two episodes where we are going to be responding to uh, uh, the Issues podcast. This is a podcast put out by three pastors who um, discussed Israel and what was going on, what's been going on in Israel. They did a, a tweet on October 17th, it says Israel's in the spotlight again. The Issues Podcast is here to discuss the matter. And so um, some interesting things were said in there. Uh, Pastor Bre- Tom Brennan is one of them. He had uh, done a post showing 15 different reasons that the church and Israel were different, I believe is what it was. Uh, Pastor First, you did a response to that that I thought was really good. I thought about just covering that. Might I, I might do that myself, uh, but either way, I thought it might be enjoyable to listen to the podcast, listen to the conversation, and you have not heard this yet, and I, I have listened to it, but I know that uh, I, you'll have some interesting commentary to give, uh, but the other two pastors are Pastor Martin Wickens and Pastor Stephen Russ. I do not know any of these men personally. I, um, I did uh, put out an invitation for any of them to come on to the program. Um, I said, I'd like to invite Brennan's Penn, Stephen Russ, and M. N. Wickens on the Spirit of Prophecy podcast to discuss this episode. I promise to be friendly and fair and give them the last word. And um, Martin Wickens, you extend a public invitation, so I'll give her a public response. Thanks for the invitation, but no thanks. I'll let others answer for themselves, but I'm not interested. Brennan. No. So I, I'm going to take what Brennan uh, responded to there as a no. <laughs> now, I don't understand this. I'm trying to figure this out. If, if Brennan ever talks to me, I, I'd like to ask him about this. But um, the only interaction I've ever had with him, I, I feel like he hates my guts. Okay, I'm not trying to sound sensitive. But um, I briefly met him one time. Somebody introduced me to him at a Revival Fires conference. And we didn't say a whole lot, didn't know anything about him. I later read his book, Schizophrenic, which I thought was, was pretty good. And, um, I was reading his book and I was, and, um, I was like, you know, when authors write books, they like to know people are reading them and getting a blessing out of it. I was like, I like what he's saying here. I like what he's standing for. I'm going to send him some encouragement. So I found him on Facebook, friend requested him, never got accepted, but I sent him a message. I said, I'm currently reading your book, Schizophrenic while traveling and I'm really enjoying it. And then, this was a response, good, but I don't think you would enjoy my opinion of Steven Anderson, and I feel I owe it to tell you that up front. (laughs) It's like, whoa, all right, sorry about that. And uh, what's what's interesting about that, too, and I'm not in fellowship with Steven Anderson anymore. I was then, uh, I'll admit that. But what's funny is before the part we're going to watch on the uh, the issues is... um, they're talking about secondary separation and kind of how that's foolish and stuff. And so I'm listening to this and I'm just like, I got, I got nailed for complimenting Tom Brennan, his book for, for complimenting him because of somebody I associated with. And so it's like, so, um, but maybe he hates me too for me. And, and, you know, Hey, and if that's the case, that's fine. But I don't know. I just, I, I wonder what I ever did to him. But anyway, uh, this isn't vengeance. I don't have any. I, I really don't have any reason to be against the guy. Uh, but I did disagree with a lot that was said in this program. And and how about you, Pastor? First, you don't have anything personal against any of these guys. Are we on a vendetta or anything right now? No, no. Uh, and I have met Tom Brennan and then read his book as well. And I liked the book. I told him so. He responded much more positive to me than you, apparently. Uh, but I have privately. Uh, chastised him about some things and he knows that but um i don't want to talk about someone personal i i have no personal vendetta against any of these three men um, last week a pastor reached out to me and said can you respond to tom brennan's 15 arguments that he posted today and then half hour later someone else publicly asked if i would respond so i wrote my 15 responses to that just in a few hours but um 
you called me this morning and said, why don't we listen to this podcast together and, and respond together? And so I've not listened to this. I don't know what's coming, um, but here we are. So let's go. And, All right. And yeah. This is not personal. And you and I are not Andersonites. No. And so let's just get that up front and let's understand that we're not trying to attack people. We're just trying to attack issues and what we consider false doctrine. Right. And these guys, too. I mean, I, I, I've i listened to a few of their podcasts, and I think they make great effort to try to be balanced. Uh, they don't want to come across as like the crazy IFB types and all that kind of stuff. And so they typically take a very safe approach on stuff. And so, you know, there's nothing like rats, like crazy radical. I don't think they say anything, you know, like, you know, they're not, they're, these guys aren't Ruckmanites, you know. I don't think they say anything like any damnable heresy or anything, but there is some major flaws. And what I hurt here in this kind of my assessment of it, and I'm not trying to be mean. And I just want to remind everybody they've been invited to come on. They are still invited to come on. And they, uh, I have, I, I'm always polite with people I disagree with. I give them the last word. That's how I roll. I will not sabotage them, but they are welcome to come on respond to anything we say if they feel like they were treated unfairly on here. I felt like when I was listening to them that these guys have not done a lot of personal study on this uh, from the scriptures. I definitely think they've read books on the subject. They even refer to some. And when you listen to the terminology they use, the talking points, uh, this is very common things that are often spoken of in IFB circles that they're, that I have done deep studies on, and there is no scriptural basis for it. And so, um, again, I think these guys represent uh, a lot of your independent fundamental Baptists who have just uh, accepted what they've been spoon-fed. They've not really dug it to themselves. And so I hope that this will, this isn't a slam of these guys, because you know, most of you guys are going to be with them on a lot of this stuff, but I hope you'll be challenged by this and actually take uh, a look into it yourself. So, we will start uh, watching this and uh, have some commentary as we go. Moving into our topic of the day, we felt like this was our opportunity to talk a little bit about the subject of Israel, what's going on there. Martin did an exceptional amount of research okay. and um, that, uh, that helps us, I think, today in this discussion. Um, Tom, you have made a lot of notes, and uh, I'm looking at all of them now for the first time. So... Let's jump in today. What's going on in Israel is terrible. Uh, the attacks against Israel are are just brutal, especially with social media. We're watching videos that are being posted by both sides of the atrocities that are being committed, um, and it's sad. I mean, it's it's sad. So I, I want to start today, and without um, looking uh, at the notes because I can't get my iPad to do the notes and this cool little screen that I set up behind me. Um, do you all think that this sets up in any way for biblical prophecy being fulfilled? I think you have to be really careful with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I get a little I agree, frustrated. And I agree with that. I get a little frustrated with that instant reaction. Oh, we're seeing the Bible fulfilled, and 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 you know the the rapture could happen at any moment. We mm -hmm. believe in a doctrine of an imminent rapture, which means the rapture could happen at any moment. We don't need something to happen in Israel in order right. to make the rapture happen. And because something is happening in Israel doesn't mean the rapture is more prone to happen. Right. Correct. Having said yes, that, yeah, Israel, Israel is front and center of a lot of Bible prophecy, and so I can understand oh, that, yeah. that dynamic. But So the, the way that I... Yeah, I, I just want to stop right here and say that uh, I yeah. thought they gave a good answer there, that you do yeah. have to be careful with that. And I'm, gl I'm glad they acknowledged that. Um, but at the same time, too... This is a common mistake people are making in, in their world because of the fact that they have such a focus on Israel. And, uh, you know, they have all these teachings about how God's going to go back to the Old Testament economy and a lot of circles and things like that, that it, it really is a conflicting message they're sending while at the same time teaching imminency. And if you're teaching imminency, there can't be anything right. left to happen. And so it, uh, you know, so the thing is, it's uh, what they're saying here is accurate, but this is always going to be something that's confusion because of the doctrine of eminency that I believe is false. Um, right. I, I do. I, go ahead. You and I are not pre-trib. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
uh, it says in the Bible that it took 46 years to Herod, for Herod to build that temple. But according to their own doctrine, they're only going to have about three years to build a temple. Mm -hmm. and, and what's uh, funny is I've heard Baptists say they could do it that time. It's like, yeah. where, where are you getting yeah. that from? Because they don't think right. that. Right. But, but you're right. The focus is on this physical Israel, mm. and that's their problem. Israel is God's timepiece, according yeah. to them. And, uh, and so that's, that's why they're all hubbub about this. Yeah, and they'll say, too, that this is what drives our eschatology. And, right. so, and that's why you just can't separate these two issues, you know. And we talk, like I said, this is, uh, we mainly talk about prophecy, but we talk a lot about Israel because that does. Understanding, having a proper understanding affects everything on that. And, and, and who, you know, who is Israel? That's the whole question here. Who is Israel? If Jesus is Israel, our focus should be on him. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says Jesus is Israel, but dispensationalists, Baptist or otherwise, are focusing on the wrong Israel. That's the whole problem here. That's yep. why everything's moving. Yeah. All right. So let, let's keep going. The way that I believe about this issue, um, and, and probably, probably this is a little bit more mainstream than what either of you would like to hear. So I, I'll accept that. But is that there first of all i told our church recently i preached a whole sermon on the rapture of the second coming and i said there are no signs to the rapture mm -hmm. which means that we're not you know we're not setting dates we're not we're not like oh it's coming this year next year whatever we believe it's imminent we believe it could happen at any time uh, but we also believe that a lot of things happen leading up to the end times um, the second coming and one of those things is the return of the people of israel uh, from all corners of the world really back to their homeland and it, i just find it interesting that you see these videos now of israelis from all over the world on planes flying home to engage in the fight um mm -hmm. at the conf conference last week um one of the ministries yeah. there is I, I have to say something about this too because first off they don't give any scriptures about the reuniting of israel them coming back to the land because and i wish they would i really wish they would because and that's a subject I need to do a whole podcast on someday, but that was there's fulfilled. Already, there's already been a regathering. They're trying to, they're trying, they're, they're following the Schofield uh, concept of a third regathering. Right. That's what they're doing. Right. And, but yeah. the, the, the thing that's so funny when he's talking about these videos in the plains of the Jews returning to their homeland was so, right. again, this is where you're, you're listening to Baptist talking points and John Hagee's when I went to Israel in 2000, you know, as a 19-year-old young man, believing everything he hears about eschatology, I remember there was a bunch of Orthodox Jews that were there on the plane. And the leader of our group that was on the plane, he, like, came over to our seats, and he just he pointed them out, and he said, you see that right there? He said, that's the Jews returning to their homeland. This is the Bible prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes. And I remember I was like, man, I am watching the Bible happen right now. Well, <laughs> this is what was funny. On the way home, they were on a plane, the same plane as we were going home too, and I, and I remember like, wait a minute, I, I thought I saw Bible prophecy being fulfilled, but no, those guys, uh, they were just going over there for a visit. So, why I left Schofieldism by William E. Cox, I don't think you could buy this booklet anymore. I think it's out of print, but it is online. You just type that in. Why I left Schofieldism by William E. Cox. And you can read about this second regathering versus third quote unquote regathering that they're talking about and how it's not biblical. Anyway, okay. go ahead. Thank you. All right. I, I just, I had to throw that in there cause that just, that cracked me up when I heard that it brought back memories of my first, my first big disappointment and like what I was told <laughs> in, in Washington DC. And they said that what they're hearing from the lawmakers there uh, and legislators is that uh, Netanyahu is telling them, that the borders of our land will look very different. The middle, the whole Middle East, we're not going to stop until it looks very different than it does now. And so those are those to me are very interesting. While I don't believe in science, the rapture, I do believe that there are things that are moving incrementally and even gradually toward what we see uh, in the scripture prophecy, both in the Old Testament and in the Book of Revelation. So that's that's kind of where I get excited about it. I don't get, you know, I'm definitely not a Jack Van Empey. Uh, but, but I look at it and I go, wow, you know, this, this should, yeah. none of this really surprises the believer if they've studied their Bible. And so that's kind of where I, where I land in all that. Yeah. I, I think, again, it's important. We're not date setting. We're not of that right. ilk that say, okay, well, 
you know, I think it's one thing to say, okay, this could be pieces of a puzzle coming together, but it could also be that everything's going to fall apart and, you know, there's no, there's no timeline that we would set. Um, I think what it does show is it's interest in how quickly things can change and what we expect from a, you know, a sense of prophecy, it can very quickly move in, in any direction. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I'd, I would say before we kind of get too much into it that, you know, the loss of life, whether it's an innocent Palestinian or an innocent Israeli, you know, the kids and babies and everything, it's tragic on both sides because there are yeah. attacks made on, um, you know, Christians who are supporting Israel um, yeah. that, you know, they'll say, well, you don't care about Palestinians. Well, if it's an innocent life, it's an innocent life. And we, we mourn that. But from a prophetical sense, um you know, the, if the doctrine of imminency is to mean anything, then regardless of whether things look likely or not, the rapture could happen at any time. That's right. That's right. And Martin, in your research, and I'm not just trying to default to what, what you've done because you've done it more thoroughly than others of us, uh, namely me, um, you know, you even did a little bit of educating on, you know, who is actually Israel and and who are those people? Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, again, there's... um. The first thing to point out is that they, that the people in the land of Israel today are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Yes. Uh, you know, there, there's always been consi- conspiracy theories out there. But again, I think one of the ideas that's going to turn the world against ethnic Israel, the literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, is the idea, well, they're not really Israel. Mm-hmm. And I won't go into the different ideas now. It's something the Muslims have always said that it's not the descendants mm-hmm. of Jacob that other people have promised is the descendants of Ishmael um, mm-hmm. or Isaac yeah, that, and Ishmael. Um, that, that always, that part always kind of just grates me a little bit because in the old Testament, it says it's an everlasting covenant. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll say more about that later, but it's, but they would say that the line is traced not through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but Abraham, Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a professing Christian this weekend, who's trying to convince me that the people in the land of Israel today are not the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but it's Abraham, Isaac, Esau. Um, and then the, the leap they make from there is then to say the people that the promises were made to no longer exist. And so the promises are nullified right. because they're not Israelis, they're essentially Edomites. Um, and that's just not true. Yeah. I've got to say something about this, too, because this, again, is this teaching of election of race, uh, not grace type thing they're doing right here. Um, When it comes to what I teach, I don't think it matters who someone descends from. However, they keep claiming these people are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And, you know, people make it out like you're anti-Semitic if you question that. But. Why is proof not required of these things? When we look at all the prophecies in the scriptures that were from Israel about the Messiah, about a line, we always have a record of the genealogy. When you go into Ezra, you had people that were polluted and put from the priesthood because they couldn't prove their genealogies. And yet we are, these people are insisting that no, the land does in fact belong to this group because they're the ones that actually descend from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and no proof is provided. Now, you can't prove they descend from Esau any more than you can from Jacob, but uh, is it not strange how we are still obsessed over race in spite of the fact that we have the New Testament? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, uh, Martin Wickens, I I agree uh, when, uh, you know, he said about the the children, the innocent. Um, However, you and I both know that there are IFB pastors who said that they would like to see Palestine turned into a parking lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, Greg Locke, draped in the Israeli flag, was saying that last week. But IFB pastors sound just like former IFB Greg Locke. Um, and, and and even though they qualify that, the truth is they're still on one side. These, mm-hmm. these three guys are obviously on one side versus the other. And there are Palestinian Christians, and they are caught in the middle of all this. Uh, and I know that for sure. I, I've communicated with them. But the point is about Israel, uh, the descendants of Abraham. Um, first of all, the Bible clearly tells us we're not to spend time 
focusing on endless genealogies. The last genealogy in the Bible was Jesus's, and that's for a specific reason. That fulfills the promise. That proves the promise was fulfilled. And so the downplay of natural birth is in the New Testament. Jesus told a Jew, you must be born again. And, and so the whole, the whole, the whole uh, uh, propping up a physical race is racism. And, and, and Schofield teaches it in his notes, this, this, uh, this special group of people. And, um, and so it's, it's very wrong. My tour guide, uh, I asked him, can you prove your descendancy back to Abraham? He said, no, I've tried, but I can't. I talked to another guy. No, I tried it. I can't. He, he transplanted from Cleveland, Ohio over there. Uh, and, and basically they're all just self-proclaimed. Um, you can study the Ashkenazi part of it. Uh, you can go back and look at all this stuff and, and find out, you know, I, I sympathize with the Arabs complaint about all this. I'm not an Arab sympathizer, but I sympathize because I realize that basically you've got one group of people claiming to be descendants of Abraham uh, and therefore they own the land. But the other side is, you know, whether they're from Ishmael or whatever, they probably have as much Abraham's DNA as you and I have. And, and yet none of us can truly claim that we're of a certain tribe or or whatever it might be that that was never god's intention it's you know flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god uh flesh and blood you know god is not a respecter of persons but apparently we are respecters of persons now and and so um it's so anti-bible what's going on here um and and who cares even if you could prove that they were descendants of abraham if they don't get saved who cares I mean, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Who cares? What's the point? I, I, I don't understand, first of all, why this is such a big deal, other than that, that somehow this gives them the right to the land, uh, which is going to melt anyway. But I really, I, I do not believe, even though Martin Wickens is saying it, I, I don't believe that he or anyone can prove that they are legitimate descendants of Abraham without crossbreeding, without a mixed race, a mixed blood. How can they prove it? They can't. We just have been, we, we've just been suckered into believing a lie. And there's a reason for it because in the end, modern Israel does play a huge part in prophecy, but not the way the dispensationalists are teaching. Right. So, right. And that's why it's funny listening to him talk about imminency, but then looking at all the stuff going on in Israel. It's like, well, yes, there are pieces of the puzzle being put into place. You're, you're Absolutely. right. Absolutely. You know, and it's, we are seeing. Right. The, the modern state of Israel is a phenomenon, uh, but it's not God's doing. It's God's allowing. Right. That's. And, and, you know, and they brought up 1948 and these guys, their right to, they're not making that as significant as some people do. I'm glad. So, you know, these guys are, they, they have a lot of stuff more right than a lot of the mainstream ones do. And I, and I'm glad they still have some pretty serious errors. But understand here what I believe happened in 1948 was the beginning of something that has slowly been happening for the last 75 years. That is something very evil that is coming, you know, that's leading to the B system. But what happened, the prophecy preachers, they got a little too anxious when they saw that start and then like declared this, you know, something that is like, no, it is far from that. You're so anxious to see it. You're making this event into it. And it was also, too, with the misunderstanding of, you know, what it all means. And they saw it as a good thing rather than a bad thing. So as a as a as a teenage boy, I remember uh, when Persian Gulf War was just starting and there was a, a pastor's get together. And, and this one pastor said, can you imagine if one of these Scud missiles accidentally hits the the, the dome of the rock and they have to start, you know, Rebuild, you know, and uh, whether they like it or not, whether they want to say it or not, they could care less how many Arabs die as long as their prophecy gets fulfilled. This is mm. what's so sad. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad they said it, but, I, yeah, I, I kind of question the sincerity, too, because they, um, well, in, in a little bit, too, they're going to talk about imprecatory prayers. It's funny. I'm glad to see Baptists back to talk about imprecatory prayers and, you know, things like, and, you know, hating certain people and stuff like that, but it's like, they always put it towards the Muslims. You bring it up in June or something, they, and they're gonna they're gonna lose your mind. Oh, that was the Old Testament dispensation, but they go right, they go right back to it when it comes to Muslims. But 
Yeah, l- let's listen to this more. Factually, genetically, linguistically, mm-hmm. archaeologically, biblically, you know, the people in Israel today, it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, and that's without question. Something else we then move into then is, you know, is Israel the church? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, no, we Can would we say stop? definitely not. Mm-hmm. Um, so why does that? Can we stop for a minute? Yep. So I have a document that um, that argues what they're saying. My document's about 2,000 years old. It's called the New Testament. And it says who the, the true Jews are. Romans chapter 2, the end of the chapter. They are not Jews outwardly, but the circumcision of the heart. Galatians chapter 3 talks about uh, they that are in Christ, the same are the children of Abraham. So if you want to find the true children of Abraham, if you want to find the legitimate children of Abraham, you want to find the ones that God inspired uh, someone to write and say, these are the children of Abraham. Just go to the Bible. Just go to the words that Paul was inspired to write. Um, and, and there you go. But now they can't have that because as he's just now starting to talk about the church being Israel, they can't have that. Um, and, and so I just want to point out to our listeners that the Bible does spell out who is and who isn't. Um, and, uh, and in Rome, Romans chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, when it says, uh, he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. He is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Well, then you get to the last book of the Bible where it says they say they are Jews and they're not, but they're the synagogue of Satan. I mean, come on. I, I mean, there's there's direct connection there between who is truly a Jew or who is truly an Israelite. When Jesus saw Nathaniel, he said, behold, an Israelite indeed. Well, what in the world does that mean? An Israelite indeed. Was Nathaniel carrying papers? Did he have a brand on him? What? No, it, he was a he was an Israelite on the outside physically, and he was an Israelite spiritually. Uh, Romans chapter nine: They are not all Israel which are of Israel. The Bible clearly teaches a spiritual Israel. First Corinthians ten: Paul said, "Behold Israel after the flesh." Well, how can you behold Israel after the flesh unless there's another kind of Israel? He's he's telling us that there's another kind besides after the flesh. And then Galatians four talks about an allegory. Now. Allegory is a bad word in independent Baptist circles. You're not allowed to use the word allegory, but Paul did. Apparently, he wasn't a dispensationalist. And, and Paul said that Isaac and Ishmael are an allegory, and that it's not about physical Isaac and whether or not we can argue descendancy from physical Isaac versus physical Ishmael, as they're doing, as always comes up here, but rather pointing out the fact that the born-again believers are the children of promise, the, the miracle birth, the new birth. That's the representation of Isaac, and they are from the Jerusalem that is above. Uh, and, and the other side, which would be the Jews in the flesh but not spiritual, are what we would call the Ishmaelites. Now, you, you, tell, you tell dispensationalists that, that the Jews today are Ishmaelites. Woo! Mm. But you know what? That's, what? that's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4. He says they are the Jerusalem that now is and is in bondage to our children. Galatians is a bad book for dispensationalists. You know, you, you can't read those last couple chapters there. You're going to get you, you're going to get yourself all messed up. It doesn't fit your dispensationalism, right? And, and they know it, so they, they don't go there. And and uh, and yet I'll go there. It's the Bible, and it, I could care less about this dispensational blah blah versus what God's word says. So anyway, yeah. we're going to listen to this about church in Israel, and right. I'm sure well, we're gonna... the thing is, and the thing is too, what what we're going to find out is that. Again, this is where they start revealing they've not studied the scriptures on the issue. They've read books. They've listened to what someone else has said about another position. Because when you start, when you prove the church is not Israel by making distinctions between Israel under the old covenant and the church in the new covenant, that's when you are dodging the issue. There was a time of reformation. There were carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. And, but what they do from there, and you can tell this by the way they talk, you know, they, they're, they're dispensationalists. They, they'll even use that word. But in dispensationalism, the church is a brand new thing. And within this new organization of the church, you have Jews and Gentiles that are a part of that. And so when a Jew gets saved, he becomes a part of a church. But the problem with that is Ephesians 2 shows that at one time we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants and promises. And Christ broke down the middle wall of partition. He made both one. So the church 
it, we or the Gentiles became a part of something that already existed. We became a part of that Israel. And then those who were of physically of Israel who remained in unbelief, those branches were broke off. And so what they ended up forming, I believe, was a new thing. And, and so people today are mistakenly looking at the Jews. And I don't care where they descend from. I don't care if they're, I mean, purebred, down-the-line Jews. It, with, with under, just understand that does not matter. They were broken off of the olive tree. And we were grafted in among the true Israel. And so obviously there are differences because there's differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. But we and, are part of the people. We are the people of God. Yeah. And, and, and Ephesians goes on and talks about the mystery. The mystery mm-hmm. is the church reveals the mystery. It, it shows how God can keep his promises to Abraham by, by bringing in Gentiles, those lost tribes, quote unquote, lost tribes uh, that assimilated into the world and going into all the world, preach the gospel of every creature that brings them back together. And so in the end, the church is what brings all 12 tribes together. That's why in Revelation, you've got the 12 tribes mentioned and the 12 apostles, all as the new Jerusalem, the, the bride of Christ. It's all one. Yeah. We're one. Yeah. Ephesians, as you said, we're made of one. And Jesus said that in John uh, John uh, 10, uh, there'll be one fold and one shepherd. Uh, and, that, and that's also in Ezekiel. And so uh, the two branches, uh, uh, Judah and Ephraim. Uh, Ephraim representing Gentiles. They're, they're, they're brought back together as one. That's what's happening now. The gospel is bringing people together and so that so that all are one, the true Israel of God. They can't see that because of the dispensational grid that they lay over their Bible. Mm, right. And right. we're going to hear them. They've already referred to it once. They're going to do it again about how it's an everlasting covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is an everlasting covenant. And then we're going to go to Galatians, uh, Galatians 3 and you're going to see they don't they don't understand the covenant. And again, it's I don't, I don't believe these are ignorant men. I believe they've, you know, I, I think Tom Brennan's read too many of those books sitting behind him, you know, rather than the one that hopefully is in front of him, a Bible, because, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these theologians have been corrupted by and influenced, you know, by Schofield and Darby and Larkin. And uh, these those men were heretics that brought a lot of leaven into Baptist churches. But let's go ahead and, and listen to some more what they have to say. Why does that matter? Because I think that needs just explained for just a few seconds. Why does it matter that we say Israel and the church are two different things? Well, that's where you get into people who believe that Israel has been replaced by the church. You know, most of us would use the terminology replacement theology. Uh, people who believe that don't like that term. They prefer, I think, supersessionism or something. And that's the idea, supersessionism. It's, you know, there's a chair and somebody else is sat in their seat. Um, and I think it's meant to be a, a softer sounding um, way of defining it. But it's the idea that the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been transferred to the church, as in the body of people that have been called out and are of every tribe and nation. Uh, and so again, I think the problem you get there is it's an everlasting covenant, you know, and for God to have made an everlasting covenant with Abraham, and the same terminology goes down to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, you know, the Davidic covenant. Um, to change that later on after those men have died is just not just. And it's, uh, I think we've got a long list of ways that the church is distinct from Israel. And, and maybe, Tom, you want to speak to that? Yeah. Can you stop for a minute? I just yeah. want to say you can't have an everlasting covenant unless you have an everlasting people. And the only way you can have an everlasting people is if they're born again. And that's our point. The true Israel has to be born again. Well, Otherwise, what, what good's an everlasting covenant? Right. And, and here's the thing, too. He brought out how that's, that terminology is used. Well, yeah. let me just share a few verses on that terminology. So Genesis 17, 7. And I will establish my covenant between uh, me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto them and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee and their generations. This is my covenant 
which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. And he that is eight, do eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thine house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the circumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So this everlasting covenant that they are referring to is one that God said can be broken. It's done in the flesh. Now, I actually had someone try to convince me, well, the Jews have kept this covenant because they still practice the circumcision. And again, he's saying people are changing the covenant after these guys died. Well, no, I believe they are changing the covenant. Let's let the Bible define the covenant. Let's let the apostles writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit define the covenant. And in Galatians chapter 3.10, speaking specifically about circumcision, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified in the law by the side of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. So what we're seeing there is that, okay, there were laws added, it says in Galatians 2, because of transgression until the seed should come to whom the promises were made. And according to Paul, if you break any of the law of God, then you're under the curse. So the thing is, to claim an ethnicity has an everlasting covenant. They are, they have to admit that covenant is a covenant of works. Yeah. And the only yeah. way that covenant can be fulfilled, the only way that comp, that covenant can accomplish anything is not if it's by the law, but by grace. And we yeah. see that, um, that Jesus Christ, he is the one who confirmed the covenant. He is the one who strengthened it. He was the one who kept the law. And the way that we are preserved in that covenant is not through our works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, who actually yeah. did keep the law. So yeah. this covenant that there are, are still excluding us from and giving to an ethnicity is a covenant based on works if it is without Christ. And, and so I just preached this past Sunday in Christ. Uh, in Christ, we are Abraham's seed. And Galatians 6 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. That's the only way you can have the everlasting covenant, is by being in Christ. And they admit, I'm sure they understand, that the Jews today over there, they are not in Christ. So that they are not the covenant people. Um, that, that That's not possible. And, and even... You know, when Stephen was stoned, he, he said, you uncircumcised, uncircumcised in heart and ears. He didn't just make that up. That came out of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 11, verse 16 says, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. And that's not the only place where it talks about the circumcision of the heart. It was in the Old Testament. Uh, and so the, the physical was just an illustration, an object lesson uh, to, to, to illustrate the true Israel. And, and were there true born-again Israelites in the Old Testament? I believe so. Mm. I believe that uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And, and, and I, I believe even before Abraham's day, I believe Job was a believer who was waiting for his Redeemer. I, 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 don't, I don't see the church replacing Israel. I see Israel physically being uh, something that was added in the law uh, as, as a way to illustrate the main point, which is the true Israel of God, which was always his concept. Um, the church wasn't plan B. God was always, I mean, from the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. And um, we we know that God doesn't have to change his mind or, or, or get surprised by anything and come up with plan B. And so the church is the mystery. It, it is the way that God fulfills his promises to the fathers. And in Christ, it says in Galatians chapter three, in Christ was the promise made to Abraham in Christ. Yep. And you see, but when you say in Christ, they would agree that, yeah, the Jews, they're not in Christ, but meaning 
but to them that means they're not in the church but they still have a separate covenant but again that covenant that they're referring to the everlasting covenant that they're not talking about the details of was a covenant no of way. works there is no way you can be accepted by god unless you are in christ you can't circumvent christ no you, you can't go around christ and go some other way that's just blasphemy well whether, whether people admit it or not yeah and, and they'll so say you know, well, but they're you know they're going to come back in the future, and, and we might have time to get into that. But here, here's the thing: Galatians three, sixteen, because they'll say, well, you know, these are unconditional. They'll say everlasting covenant and unconditional. But wait, there was a condition in that everlasting covenant. It was the work of the law. It was circumcision. You say, well, there's promises. Yes, Galatians three sixteen specifies now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not in the seeds as of many, but as of one into thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. They are claiming they still have claim because of an, of an ethnicity. That is by the law. It, or because of a circumcision, that is by the law. And so it says, for it, it, uh, for wherefore then serveth the law? Why did God even give it then? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. That's Jesus. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So understand, the, the reason that I still believe in that everlasting covenant is because I believe that everlasting covenant was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And all who had faith in the past, all who had faith in the future are in that everlasting covenant. But these guys are literally separating us from the covenant, which Paul dealt with this in Galatians 3 and Ephesians 2. And it's and so they're they're doing the same thing the Pharisees did, you know, during the time of Christ, you know, and that uh withstood the apostles. They're teaching the same thing, yet they kind of get around it by with this dispensationalism where it's like the church is just this whole brand new separate thing. And so we and, and you're going to see Tom Brennan later says, you know, we're the chosen people now, like in this dispensation. But they're all also the chosen people and have this future. And it's like wrong. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you didn't get that from Scripture. So, all right, let's one chosen people. You know, my pastor used to say there's two institutions, but one family. And um, Ephesians chapter three says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I'm part, Abraham is my family. I'm part of Abraham's family. Now there's this Tom Strauss that says that, you know, um, the Old Testament saints won't be raptured with the New Testament saints. I, I find that incredible and crazy and somewhat similar to Ruckmanism. Um, this idea that the Old Testament saints are going to have to wait seven years longer than me. Uh, to, uh, that Abraham has to stay seven years longer in the grave. I, that, that's nuts. But, but that's what happens when dispensationalism um, is, is overtaking uh, your brain versus what the Bible actually says. And that's what's happened to, to a lot of us. And I used to, you know, I was trained, I was raised like you in an independent Baptist church. And, um, and we just heard it. We just regurgitated what we heard until we started reading the Bible for ourselves and letting the word of God be the final yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and check out a little bit more. Well, there are. Uh, Dwight Pentecost gives a good summation of that in his book, Things to Come. And I have a list of 14 or 15 reasons why the church is not Israel. But instead of getting into those reasons necessarily, let me just reiterate or emphasize if you don't understand this, it's critical because the whole idea that the church replaces Israel means the promises God gave the Jews in the Old Testament that we believe he still has yet to fulfill, which is the reason we believe in a, a millennium and, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing, that those are, will be fulfilled in the church instead. We reject that. We, we believe that God has made promises to Israel. They have yet to be fulfilled, and that drives our eschatology. It drives our sense of God must protect Israel, God must preserve Israel, because they have to be around for God to fulfill his promises too. And so it's a key distinction to make in understanding. It's driven by essentially a literal hermeneutic that says we're going to interpret these Old Testament prophecies literally. And when you fail to, to apply a literal hermeneutic in prophecy, you end up way off course 
just like you do when you spiritualize any other aspect of hermeneutics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think the road to replace in Israel with the church wasn't a theological one when I've, I've read about it and it's something I'm, I'm still digging into and I've still got a lot of questions about, but it's not that they looked at the Bible and they began to reinterpret things. But back in the second and third centuries, particularly is when it picked up and gained ground but they looked at circumstances around them. They saw Israel destroyed in 70 AD, and that was a big right. catalyst towards them saying, well, God must favor the Gentiles over the Jews. Um, but it was a lot more circumstantial than it was theological. And then having they, looked at the situation around them, they tried to make the Bible fit. As if There's we're not circumstantial in, today, right? As, as if we're not looking at current events and making circumstantial judgments, right? As if right. 1948 isn't something special, and as if what's going on now isn't the reason why we're having this podcast, right? I mean, mm. come on. We're, we're human beings, and so circumstantial evidence does does get in the way sometimes. But but to that point, um, David Cloud said, well, the reason why the old commentators didn't see Israel the way we see it today is because they didn't have the privilege of living where we are today in 1948 and all that. And I say baloney. I say they, they were had more clear evidence of what the scripture said because they weren't mesmerized by 1948 and Israel, God's timepiece, as we have been told today. Um, and so this whole podcast is based off of current events. Mm -hmm. and, and, to, and so to say that 70 AD confused people, <laughs> no, current events have always confused people who don't let the Bible speak for itself. Anyway, I'm yeah. saying that. And I just want to say, too, that I've been hearing a lot of people act, you know, say and throw our way that, you know, because of what's going on in Israel, now's probably not a good time to be talking about this stuff. And it's like, well, you know what? We were talking well, about it before. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But we it, were we but were it. talking about it before. And unfortunately, yeah. all you know, because of what's going on, all these people are chiming in because it's a hot topic right now. You think I'm going to shut up when, you know, when the I, lies are abounding? When I see IFB pastors saying that Palestine should be a parking lot. That is so grievous. That is so wicked. We're not supposed to be wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not supposed to be carnal in our warfare. And 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 I heard on, on talk radio, Christian talk radio, BCY America, I don't really appreciate them very much, but I heard this last week, and I think it was Brandon House, some caller called in and said that there are no such thing as a Palestinian Christian. There's no such thing as a Palestinian Christian. That is so, it, it's so wrong. It's so it's so wicked. It's so racist. It's it's so prejudiced. It's so anti-New Testament. It's not even funny. Um, and and so yeah, you, you can't tell me to shut up because now's not the time. If now's not the time, then you all shut up about your 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 one-sided. I stand with Israel. No, I stand with Jesus. You know, um, I can pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but when I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm not praying for one side. I'm praying for both sides. This is a mess. And it will not get fixed, especially with dispensationalism. It will not help it. Right. And they're not even fighting in Jerusalem. They're fighting in Gaza. Right. Yeah, but right. Eh. Theology was driven by what they saw rather than by what they studied in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And that's always a dangerous position to be in. So yeah. we believe, and, and this is a classic This is a classic belief. This is not new. We haven't invented this. Right. That, that the church, uh, that God is working with the church in our dispensation but when he's done working with the church, he will rapture the church out, and he'll return to working with Israel. And so because mm -hmm. of that, Israel must be around and must be preserved in order for God to work with Israel again. Tom, but can the, you, you speak a little bit no to, to the There's no end to the church age, quote-unquote. Um, it says in the end of Ephesians 3, there'll be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Um, the, the church is it. You want to see the true Israel of God, you're going to, you're looking at the church. Hebrews 12 says, the general assembly and church of the firstborn, written in heaven. I mean, the church, the church isn't a temporary thing. The church is eternal. Dispensationalism downplays the church. Schofield was not church preeminent. Schofield uh, downplayed the church and actually uh, said things about the church that were very disparaging. The church is the bride of Christ. Whether people like that or not, the church is the new Jerusalem. That's why it's made up of the apostles and prophets. That's why they're both listed there, because it's everything. It's the mystery of God is finished. The whole family in heaven and earth is named. That's it. That's how it ends up. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, uh, so I really I really take issue with this 
dispensation of the church age, blah, blah, blah. That's just Schofieldism. That's not Bible. Yeah, well, how about this for the, Isaiah 49, 8, okay, written to the Jews. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. Second Corinthians, Apostle Paul, verse two, chapter 6, verse 2, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. So uh, Paul seemed to think that they were in that time of salvation and that time that right. God promised. And he said that to the Corinthians. Right. And he said Hebrews, that to the church. The, the book of Hebrews says today, today. Right. It's written to the Hebrew, Hebrew speaking people today, today, today. Don't harden your heart. The deliverer the, came and turned ungodliness away from Jacob. Acts Isaiah 3. 49. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like you said, Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 is Jesus. He's the true Israel. He's the original Israel. And and he's the light to the Gentiles, it says in the same passage. It's now, now. And the lie of Satan is to tell someone, you've got a second chance after we get zapped out of here. You want to talk about anti-Semitism? That's anti-Semitism right there. Absolutely. When you lie to people, tell them that they can get saved later. Yeah, well. Not to mention, not to mention Calvinism. Yeah. That they're all just going to turn to God. Right. Yeah, and don't uh, you get yeah, don't you guys get offended by this? They're going to play the anti-Semitism card, which is where oh, yeah. people always lose me. You know, because you'll you'll see it too. The argument's not going very well. You can tell it's like we're trying. If you, you've been there before, we've all been there where we're preaching something, and it's like we know we're kind of failing to communicate, and it's just like this just isn't going over, and it's just kind of easy when that happens to just make. And I've seen preachers this. I'm sure I've done this in the past. I try not to do it, but when when you're just failing to communicate, you just get frustrated. You know, if, if, if you don't believe this, you're just, you're just stupid. You're just, you're just a heretic. And so they're yeah. kind of failing in their communication. And, you know, sometimes it's just because we communicate poorly. But you can kind of sense the frustration. And so then they pull out the anti-Semite card because it's like, you, you know, I know we probably didn't convince anybody of anything we just said. But you're an anti-Semite if you don't agree with it. They don't say it quite like that but that's pretty much what's happening or an andersonite yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so all right here we go we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit more of this and then we're gonna have to continue this uh for day two but let, let's watch another clip of the israelis the jewish people's return to the land and you know you've kind of said before you don't believe that the 1948 reestablishment was the fulfillment of that do you think that happens more incrementally or do you think that's yet to happen H how do you view that um, this is one of the areas where I think I get frustrated, as I mentioned earlier, with with some very good people. They they view the 1948 return to Israel as being indicative of Bible prophecy. You know, I'm going to stop this for a second because I do want to say I'm, I think this might be a little bit of a longer clip. I actually agree with a lot of what they're saying, what they're about to say right here, because a lot of things could potentially happen and start. So, so this next portion um, they're, they're, they're going to say some pretty good stuff here that makes a lot of sense that a lot of their crowd need to get a hold of. So let's, let's give credit where credit's due. And it is not necessarily, because the people of Israel have returned to the land and been removed from the land and returned to the land and been removed from the land on several occasions in their history. And it could very well be that there is an enormous Arab war. This own event spins up into a wider regional conflict. Israel is demolished. The Jews run for their life back into hiding all over the world. That doesn't mean that God's promises are not fulfilled, because the, the, the point of God's promises being fulfilled is he has to preserve the Jews ethnically and nationally, but mm -hmm. he can bring them back nationally at any point. Part. So even if they're scattered from off the land again, they still can be returned. And I would argue that the return really of a nationally ethnic Israel, of a national Israel has to happen in order for the Antichrist to make a treaty with them, right, for the tribulation period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you can see why people will say, okay, so we can do this now. But right. again, if, if they're scattered, they can still come back again. And ultimately, the return of Israel to the land is what happens in Matthew 24 uh, mm -hmm. at the second coming when, when Christ sends his angels to gather the Jews, his elect, out of everywhere they've run to in the world when they, when they run for their lives well, during the tribulation period. Well, yeah, you know what? I, I might have complimented that prematurely. The point, the point they were making. No, no, that, I, I understand. I, you're yeah. trying to, you're trying to give them, you're trying to give them some, some well, kudos for what they said, right? Because and, and, yeah, 
because John R. Rice said 1948 was not the fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And I posted that from an old Sword of the Lord pamphlet that John R. Rice wrote. And I I don't think they appreciate that at the Sword of the Lord today that I'm posting that. Um, but today's Israel is not a fulfillment of anything. I do believe, because I believe, as you know, and as many people who've read my book, they know that today's Israel is really the whore of Babylon. It's it's the Christ rejected. He mentions Antichrist. The Jews today are Antichrist. They reject the Son. First John says clearly, if you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. And who is a liar but he that denieth the Father and the Son? They are Antichrist. And so when John said that, and when John said in Second John, when he said, don't even bid them Godspeed, he wasn't talking about Jehovah's Witnesses when he said that. John, John was talking about the people who were stoning them in the book of Acts, who were hounding them and persecuting them. And let's just wake up and smell the coffee here. That's who these people still are, whether they can prove a descendancy or not. They are anti-Christ. They, they reject Jesus Christ. Now, do the Arabs, are the Arabs all saved? Of course not. But let's just be clear about something. Islam teaches that Jesus was a prophet, but not the Son of God. I believe I'm correct when I say that. The Babylonian Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, teaches that Jesus is boiling in his own excrement in hell. And yet, Christians today are supposed to take sides with Israel. I don't take sides with either side. But which side sounds a little more anti-Christ to you? And the word anti is not just against. It's it's instead of. It's replacement. So they've talked about replacement theology. You know what real replacement theology is? Is when you replace Jesus, the true Israel, with some other Israel. And you've got that clip, and I've got that clip. We've posted it on our Twitter and Facebook pages from that rabbi who said, you Christians worship one Jew. You need to worship all of us because we all die for your sins every single day. We are all the firstborn. Well, there's replacement theology right there Mm. coming out of a Jew's mouth. And that's what this is all about. Antichrist, the concept of Antichrist is to replace Jesus with someone else and to be, which is then against Jesus. And that's, that's, and so both sides are, are, are Christless. Both sides reject Christ as the savior, as the son of God. And therefore both sides are wrong. Uh, and that's why there's conflict, but it's not about prophecy. It's not about some fulfillment trying to happen or going to happen soon. It's about God allowing things to take place for a reason, but it's not, it's not because Israel has to come back to the land uh, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. That, that's, that's the dispensationalism that comes in. But I agree with you that at least Tom said that 1948 wasn't a fulfillment. And at least he says that because most will not say that and do not appreciate me posting John R. Rice's old uh, commentary on, on Jews in Palestine. Remember, John R. Rice was 30 years old when 1948 happened. He, he, he was around when that travesty happened and people started being kicked out of the homes they owned for years. Um, and so he sees it differently uh, than we to, we see it today. Anyway, I've said too much. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. And said, so, and I, I like though that they made the point though, that this, you know, they could lose a bunch of ground and it doesn't mean it's over. For example, there's the Eastern gate prophecy that a lot of people prophesy about that. It's not gonna be open until the Messiah comes. That gate has been opened and reopened multiple times throughout history. It could get open if, if it got opened again. Everybody like Man, the Messiah's about to come, and it could get closed up again for another hundred years. So that point was good. Yeah. Now I forgot. Yeah, them saying that God has to preserve them as a nation and an ethnicity. Again, well, preservation of the covenant is in Christ. Right. We are that, the chosen people. We are the holy people. The the, the holy nation. Yeah. The peculiar people. That's that's who we right. are. And we're yeah, the nation. And so if God has to preserve an, an ethnicity, a race. Why doesn't he have to provide proof like he did from Adam to the seed that was the promises were made to? And how can you as a Bible believer verify any of that if you're not supposed to pay attention to endless genealogies? <laughs> yeah, I think God wanted us to get away from that after Christ. Bingo. <laughs> so I just like they're getting this from books. You right. guys, nobody read their Bible 
and said right. God has to preserve them as an ethnicity and nation. And what about the 1900 years they were gone yeah. as a nation? And and this is a subject for another day. Are you sure they're back as a nation? Are you sure? Have you ever looked into what it meant to be a, a people, what God did to establish them throughout the scriptures from when they came out of Egypt, from when they crossed over Jordan, from when they got restored to the land after the Babylonian captivity? All, and yet we've, we saw none of that, none of those things in 1948. Absolutely none. And so you, these people have redefined even what the physical nation of Israel is. They've completely redefined it. And they don't even realize that because they're just repeating what they read from their books. They're not going to the scriptures and defining these things. So uh, uh, let's let's do one more one more clip because there's there's still a lot more of this. I think we'll be able to get through the second half faster than we got through the first half. But let, let's do one more. He one brings more them back and they accept him as their Messiah. That's mm. ultimately the mm -hmm. return of Israel to the land. Yeah, and and so speaking to what I was saying earlier, that you know we see what's happening right now, and and it, it excites us, right? Because we we know that it has to happen, we or that it will happen based on prophecy. But I'll say this: that if if the borders of Israel expanded, and then in 50 years, um, they were completely, you know, reversed and everything. I, I wouldn't lose any sleep over that. I yes, wouldn't go, right. oh, the Bible's not true. Because of what you mm -hmm. said, that that God's prophecies about Israel are ultimate. They are, they are going to be fulfilled at a certain point. Whether or not God is giving us a, a glimpse into that right now is where some people differ, I guess. And I don't have a problem getting excited about it, but I agree, uh, to the to the T, right? Very specifically with everything that you've everything. Well, I've heard people said. say, and Martin, maybe you can speak to this, but I've heard people say, well, the fact that Israel will turn to the land in 1948 means the people that were alive then, that Jesus will come back in their lifetime, conflating oh, no. entirely different scriptural passages, and you just can't <laughs> do that. It's just it's mm -hmm. not fair to God, and it's not fair to to what God's trying to accomplish or to people. Uh, and that's where you try and force circumstances into your theology, mm -hmm. and and that, that's where you very much begin to go well, not where you begin to go wrong, but it's where you do go wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a whole long list of why the church and Israel are distinct, and whether you know that Israel has always been a a physical people in a you know national ethnic sense. The church is made up of every tribe and tongue, and um, and like you said, Dwight D. Pentecost, he has a long list. And I think I put up on my website an article why Israel is, is distinct from the church. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's an important thing to see. But as far as, you know, the, the return to the land, I think it's interesting. I think it's incredible. I think it was only about 10 or 15 years ago that for the first time in 2000 years, there were more Jewish people in Israel than scattered around the world. But I think the, the true return that's prophesied is is something fulfilled um and whether you tie it into the the evangelism of the 144,000 or whatever else you know gets into the realms of speculation but certainly Zechariah 12 13 14 you know people go back to the land and Israel are there and I think that's the ultimate fulfillment of it do you tie it to the 144,000 Martin no I think it's curious I think you know if you've all of a sudden got 144,000 um Jewish evangelists going around the world, I think that's going to speak to the Jewish people who may still be dispersed, but that's, mm -hmm. you know, hands up, that's fully speculation. So I, I think it's a curiosity, but I'm not saying that. Let me stop there. Yeah. So I want to ask our listeners to tell me in the Bible where there are 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Mm -hmm. Show me the verse that 144,000 Jewish evangelists are preaching the gospel. Show me the verse. Yeah, they're they're yeah. they're spouting dispensational, like everybody else. They're dispensationally deep and and biblically shallow. Yeah, show me the Bible verse where one hundred and forty four thousand Jewish evangelists are preaching the gospel. All right. Yeah. No. You know, and we're going to end it with that. I'm, that I am glad you said that because that was exactly what I was thinking. Jewish evangelists. It, it's so funny. Why are the words that are coming out of your mouths something I can't find in my King James Bible, but I can find in every dispensational book? And it's because, again, people have not done their own study in eschatology.
They are reading books by other people. Oh, and and Tom, Brennan, Tom Brennan posts and, and talks about all the books he's read. I know. He's always talking about books. And I read too, but I try to keep it to the 66 books. Well, I, yeah, I, I would, I would recommend this one. My, my shelf. Yeah. And, and yeah. not just because it's King James Bible. It doesn't have any commentary in it. And, yeah. you know, and I wish we had time to get into some of Schofield stuff, but I'm not saying we can never learn from other people, but I'm just saying other people are mistaken. And when you're all barfing the same mistakes, I'm thinking, you know, you, you need to do your own study on this stuff. And so a lot, a lot of these things are very easily provably wrong. And so anyway, uh, we will uh, stop this for today. I hope this was a blessing. And then uh, we will watch the rest of the video for tomorrow's program. And we will, uh, we will respond. And so again, Pastors Wickens and Brennan and Russ, y'all are invited. I, I promise I have had Calvinists. I have had Trendies. I have had uh, Eric Skorzynski. I have had, I mean, I've had all kinds of crazy people. And I don't consider these guys crazy. Uh, you know, I've, I've had people that I've had that I don't consider my brother. Uh, I, I treat people fair. I have no problem being challenged. I have said what I want to say to all this. I'm willing to have you come on and respond uh, to anything you, where we felt like we've misrepresented or whatever. And, you know, and I, I will let you have the last word. Uh, I'm not afraid of doing that. I believe uh, if I'm using your name for this program, I owe that to you. You don't have to take it. But uh, I don't go around you dropping people's names without giving them an invite to respond. And so um, you all are, are more than welcome. Not setting you up. If I did, uh, it would kill my reputation. I won't be able to get guests in the program in the future. So I've got nothing to gain by messing with you. So uh, it's, it's sincere. And um, But anyway, appreciate everyone watching this. Join us tomorrow for part two.